Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Biden's first press conference 64 days in and the White House marijuana controversy. Inez Steeman, excuse me, Inez Stepman of Independent Women's Forum joins me to talk about the ERA, the Equality Act, and the Grammys. Bill Clinton and Vice President Harris and women's empowerment, seriously, and uh, ACW team members launch one week from today. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm going to guess Quite a few of you probably tuned in to see the very first press conference by President Biden. We're 64 days in uh, to his presidency, and he gave his first press conference today. I want to talk about that along with the White House controversy about marijuana use very quickly in the first five. Some people who supported President Biden or voted for him probably watched that press conference and thought, hey, he handled it okay. I mean, it was pretty good. You know, he answered questions and he appeared, you know, uh, to speak coherently. And I know that people who want to like him will see that. But I watched the press conference. I'm gonna share with you some things that I think, I hope everyone can walk away recognizing he is still, as I've been telling you on this show, he's not mentally alert enough to handle this job. Number one, press conference means you get up in front of the press and you say your remarks and then you take questions. And so press, person over here raises her hand and you call on him. There's big controversy sometimes in the Trump presidency, which person got called on first. If you watch President Biden, he had his papers in front of him. And after he finished his remarks, which he read from a teleprompter, which is okay, but he was turning to a list. He's looking down and he goes, okay, uh, you know, Joe over there, you can ask a question. He even had the name of the news out that they were from. So it was scripted, major league scripted as to who got to ask questions. That's the first point. Second point is, I actually think it was scripted to the point he probably knew the questions that were coming. And I, I know that some of the questions he received were seemed to be on the edge of confrontational. He was asked, well, you know, um, President Biden, some mom in Honduras said in response to a reporter's inquiry that she let her, her son come to America, walk to the, from, the Mex, uh, from Honduras, the Mexican border, because she'd heard that, you know, you, President Biden, were a nice person, you let him in. And, you know, and so how could you, whatever, you know, when I, it was an accusatory question, isn't your language out of your White House encouraging people to leave the Central American country? So she was trying to pretend it was confrontational. And honestly, uh, his answer, he never answered the question. Uh, and he also just kind of meandered around in a lot of slogans. But the last thing I'll say is this about his, his performance today. I'm sure many people will, uh, who support that uh, administration will come out saying, hey, he handled it okay. He, he, you know, he went for an hour and a half and he seemed to be coherent. You know, he, he didn't answer talking about subject X when someone asked him about Y. However, if you watch his demeanor, watch his face, the way he reacts, I have dealt with senior relatives suffering from dementia and I recognize this. In fact, they call it covering. They, they cover for themselves. They have a puzzled look on their face. 
they look confused, they're looking around kind of like this, and then they finally come back and, and are kind of with you. There was that hesitancy, that, that daft, confused look on his face more than once. This is a press conference 64 days into his presidency where he's had a lot of time to prepare. He put a lid on several recent days, taking minimal time in public, most time back, resting up and preparing. This, was a, this is a propped up president, and I don't say this to be unkind. I actually think it's cruel for his administration, his family, to continue propping him up as though he is mentally alert enough to handle the presidency of the United States. He is not. He is a Manchurian-type candidate standing up there playing the role because the American people wanted someone in the presidency on the Democrat side, the Democrat voters, needed someone who appeared to be in the Democrat pro-America you know, uh, ballpark. They did not... The rest of the Democrat voting base was not going to go with the leftists, the other leftists who ran. So he was chosen as the one, the most palatable. And he is a prop up there. He is not mentally alert. He has been, as we talked about recently, wandering around on the tarmac, unable to figure out which way Air Force One was parked. Finally, Vice President Harris had to pat him on the back and say, hey, we're going this way, sir. All of the instances we have talked about, the times when he wasn't on his, you know, primed and prepared mode, couldn't follow the questions, couldn't, couldn't, wasn't coherent. This is who the president really is. And I will tell you that I'm, I know what I'm saying sounds harsh, but what's really harsh is for his supporters to pretend that he is coherent enough to handle this job. That's harsh. That's cruel. He's not. And his family, his wife, his supporters, I'm sure are already thinking of how to move him along. But that press conference, I mean, give him credit where credit's due. He stood there for an hour and a half and in some ballpark way answered most of the questions fairly well, avoided some. Had a lot of good slogans out there about, yeah, I, I'm the one here. I was, I was hired to solve problems. Uh, Republicans love me, you know, those kind of lines. But the mess at the border never acknowledged the truth about the mess at the border, kept throwing out facts that are inconsistent with reality about what's occurring at the border. This is trying to paint a picture. It's all rosy or else it's Trump's fault. I, I, I mean, it didn't fly in the world of reality. It didn't fly with informed people. The other people thing I wanted to mention very quickly in today's first five has to do with this controversy at the White House. Kind of mind-blowing, this controversy at the White House. So the White House said when they hired people to work in the Biden administration, you know, they want them to give full disclosure about their past conduct, including smoking marijuana. Uh, and those things, questions are normally asked because they want to be sure people they hire are not blackmailable. I mean, that's the reason that you have to give a very thorough vetting of your background to work in the White House. So these young people, taking them at face value, uh, acknowledge, apparently quite a few of them acknowledge, well, yes, actually, you know, I, I did smoke marijuana in college. Uh, not current use, but past use. And as far as one report says, all of that occurred in states where marijuana is legal. So now that they got hired, they, made, they complied with the request of the White House, told the true story, and now the White House has a new policy. They're firing people who've acknowledged that they smoked pot in the past, including their five people for sure fired, other people under investigation. And all of this under a presidency in which the vice president, Kamala Harris, has acknowledged, and whether it was true or not, what she said in an interview when she was still running and she was in contention for the presidency, what she said in an interview uh, was, uh, in fact, I'll just have Matt the Wonderful play it. This is Kamala Harris still running for president. She had to say about pot use. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhaled. I did inhale. I did inhale. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago.
Okay, so she smokes pot. That makes her cool, the Democrat crowd. And this is not a discussion about marijuana legalization today. It's not about pot. It's about the hypocrisy of a White House encouraging young people to apply for jobs, telling them they have to fully disclose their past behavior. They do it, and they get fired under a president who's vice president, bragging, admitting, whatever word you attach to her words, uh, that she herself used uh, smoke pot in her younger days. I, I think the White House is a mess. I, and actually, I will close this first five by playing. So you heard my commentary about what um, President Biden had to say and how he performed today in the press conference. I'm asked Matthew Wonderful to play a little clip describing when he was asked yesterday about preparing for the press conference, what he had to say. The eve of his first solo press conference as president. A few minutes ago, somebody shouted out to him, how are you getting ready for the press conference? And he said, what press conference? Okay, and that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. She's joining us by Skype. It's the first time we've had her join us here on America Can We Talk. She's with an organization that I've talked about many times on this show, Independent Women's Forum, had many of their very thoughtful team join me at various points, talking about various issues facing America. And her name is Inez Stepman, and she at Independent Women's Forum, she's a senior policy analyst, and she writes good things, she gives great interviews, and I reached out to her because some of the issues that, I, that are kind of front and center really are ones that the Independent Women's Forum has done a great job talking about, analyzing from their perspective of representing and standing up for uh, equality of women and rights of women, uh, but they don't fall in line with the left wing presentation uh, of what it means to stand up for women. So I want to ask her about a bunch of those issues, and I believe we have ready to join us, Inez Stepman. Hi, Inez. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad you are here. And actually, before I jump into the topics I mentioned, I want to talk about, can you just briefly tell my listeners, I have had many folks on from Independent Women's Forum, but not in a while. So can you just basically tell um, our audience here what your show, what your organization is all about? Sure. Uh, in short, uh, IWF is dedicated to the idea of um, promulgating policies that actually help women in a concrete way, not just things that are gauzy or sound nice. Um, and we also believe that all issues are women's issues, which is why we work on foreign policy. We work on economic issues that affect women. Um, I personally, my specialty is in education, so we work on education policy. Um, and, and we work on also what are might be known as quote unquote women's issues, which I think we're going to be talking about today. But um, I just want to emphasize that we believe that everything, I mean, every every political issue affects women as well as men. So um, we don't have this very narrow conception of, of what the left calls, quote unquote, women's issues. That's why I like you guys so much. I love that because, yes, women actually care about all issues and the uh, outcome, the decisions we make and policies of every sort impact all Americans, including women. So your uh, all issues of women's issues is a great slogan. In fact, six, seven years ago when my show first started, I was saying that on my show, yeah, all issues are women's issues. And then someone said, hey, I think that's the slogan for IWF. I don't even know what it was, but anyway, great minds think alike. Okay, so I want to start with, there is discussion in Washington about the ERA. And um, I remember when the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, was a really, really big deal back in the day. Uh, Congress passed the ERA in 1972, sent it on to ratification with the notion that the states would ratify, would have an Equal Rights Amendment in the Constitution. And now that's being talked about again, about reviving the ERA. And I think for some women, if you're not focused 
deeply into issues, you might think, well, that sounds good. Why don't we have an amendment in the Constitution squarely stating that men and women have equal rights or are equal in every way? And conservative groups have tended to question the wisdom of that. So I wanted to start with that issue and ask you, what is the reason, the position IWF takes and the reasons why? Yeah, I think a lot of folks uh, thought that the ERA, would, the battle was done. Uh, it had been killed by Phyllis Schlafly's hand back in the 1970s. And, and there certainly are a lot of procedural issues with reviving it. And we're seeing those issues play out in the courts right now um, because proponents are saying that they can revive this amendment after uh, 50 years and count all of the ratifications that happened in the 1970s uh, when fully 62% of the voting electorate now um, was either not alive or was too young to vote when the ERA was initially being considered in the 1970s. Um, so, so there are legal issues there, but primarily the reason that we oppose this on the merits uh, is because we believe it'll be very negative for women. Women and girls rely on hundreds, if not thousands of laws that we don't even think about day to day that uh, rely upon the law's ability to distinguish male from female, um, to be able to say, okay, there are some circumstances where the biological differences between men and women actually matter, whether that's uh, in uh, ways that we are trying to give women particular opportunities. Um, for example, in sports, it's the reason we segregate uh, men from women in sports is so that women can actually have the, the ability to, to compete against each other in a fair way. It's obviously not a fair competition to put boys and girls together in most contests of strength and speed, um, as most sports are. So that's one opportunity that we actually decide, okay, yes, we're going to recognize the fact that men and women are different and we're going to have different sports teams for them. But there are many other ways in which the law recognizes this and some of them threaten even women and girls' safety. So for example, um, we, we segregate prisons by, by sex, right? We have uh, women's prisons and men's prisons. And what we're already seeing in some states that have state level versions of the Equality Act, which actually the ERA would have a lot of similar consequences as the Equality Act, um, what we're seeing is that um, we are, are starting to integrate men and women together in prisons. Now, I don't need to explain to you on the show. I'm sure it, there are very common sense reasons for why that endangers women. But this is, these are the sort of consequences that could come to pass if um, the ERA becomes the law of the land. I, I love the example of prisons because, I mean, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but you're thinking, what could go wrong? Putting men and women in, in prison, I mean, you, you can envision the, the difficulties. And the sports example I love, too, because so many, I mean, it was a great thing when girls got the opportunity to compete in very, very high-level sports and get scholarships and get to go to college on a track scholarship, a scholarship or all sorts of other sports. I, I mean, it is the most contrary to wanting women to achieve and women to have access to, you know, scholarships and college sports tool. Uh, yeah, you already know that. Okay, so I was going to mention, you You actually mentioned this. I was going to throw this fact out myself. So in August of 2020, uh, there had been a lawsuit brought seeking to compel, essentially, well, you made allusion to it, the 1970s era Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. The, the uh, motion before court was to, uh, the uh, lawsuit filed earlier the year, in the year uh, was also, it was basically to push the uh, court to, to consider it as a, you know, to re, what's the right word? Reignite it, to, to re-engage it, to Surprise put it, yeah. Yeah, and, and they, the battle's done. They, they think they've won. Um, they, they're arguing to inscribe the ERA into the Constitution because Virginia in 2020, early 2020, actually ratified the, um, the ERA and became, on their count, the 38th state to do so. Now, that's not a legitimate count because for a couple of reasons. One, 
Um, 35 of those ratifications happened in the 1970s. And as I mentioned, there's quite a few intervening years, um, as, as well as some of those states have actually changed their minds, right? Phyllis Schlafly was very, very successful in getting people to change their minds about the ERA when she was laying out the possible consequences of the law. Um, and, and so we actually have four states that rescinded their ratification and one state that originally had a sunset clause, right? And, and there's the issue of the congressional deadline, which is long, long past. Um, but nevertheless, they are bringing suit to get this, this amendment um, inscribed as an amendment uh, by the, the National Archivist in the Constitution. Um, so those legal battles are going to play out. But on, on the merits, I think that the ERA, while it sounds good, it sounds like basic legal equality, who's against that? Um, we already have basic legal equality between men and women. Nobody suggests that women have uh, fewer First Amendment rights that we today cannot serve on a jury, for example, or bear arms. There is no suggestion that women have in any way second class status under the Constitution. Um, so they're using this, this language about equality that over 90% of Americans agree with already and in fact already enjoy to, I think, sneak in some very, very radical consequences where we're not just equal under the law, we're identical, we're interchangeable between men and women, and we have to ignore all of those times when it might actually matter and we might have to separate boys from girls or men from women. Absolutely, and actually one or other arena where this is particularly apl applicable has to do with the military and the draft and women serving in the military. Obviously women serve in the military. I have good friends, women who serve in the military. It's not they can't serve at all, but we don't pretend that men and women are physically equal, physically equal in strength and other things. One other, uh, this, on this last thing on this topic, ERA, I did notice the House, the U.S. House repealed the ERA expiration date. Uh, this was in March of this year, th this month repealed the ERA, so the, the House is trying to push this as, yeah, we, we'd be okay with this. Uh, truly amazing. Okay, so the next thing I want to hit with you um, is there was a, um, a Grammy Award um, evening. Um, I, I boycott all such things because I truly, I, I can't stand it, but there was a lot of discussion, and I love this topic, there was a lot of discussion about the idea that some of the performances given by Cardi B and other um, were very uh, sensual and and um, overly sensual and perhaps exploitative and on the left you heard people kind of defending this very uh, in some people's view pornographic performance um, saying well hey yeah this is just women being equal with guys um, and I I think it was something from IWF but I'm pretty but anyway the idea was exploiting women or putting this imaging out of women that are, is, is really pornographic is actually degrading a women. It's not bringing women up as equals. It's actually degrading toward them. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think this is inevitable. If, if you look at the way our culture deals with sexuality, the only way to critique um, anything related to sex is through the lens of consent, right? And I think that's why you're seeing um, the left try to cram so many of these concepts, like I think with very negative consequences into the law, right? To broaden the idea of what consent means to the extent that we now have young men on college campuses who are um, you know, being expelled and fighting uh, in federal court for yeah. their due process rights. Um, for what are by previous standards consensual sexual activity. Um, 
But I think that's why the left is going down that road. But I also think it's the way they're responding this way to this performance at the Grammys. It's it's the the response is well they consented to do it, therefore it's not degrading. Um, and and we've lost the language with which to talk about anything regarding sex, whether that's good or bad or or you know wonderful or exploitative. Um, we don't have that conversation in a, a an, you know sort of multi lens way anymore. The only way that one can criticize Size, any kind of sexual activity is through lack of consent um, and, and therefore anything else is somehow like bigotry or misogyny against women or um, you are against uh, women's empowerment or liberation or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that's a, that's a very impoverished lens through which to view sexual activity and I don't think that that actually correlates in any substantial way with the way that women's, women actually experience um, their sexual lives. And, and I just ultimately think that lens will always fall short, but that's what you'll hear, right? You'll hear this is empowering because they consented. Well, there are plenty of things that women can consent to that don't ultimately end up empowering them or making them feel good at the end of the day. Amen to that. Amen to that. It is really a, um, yeah, it was kind of a, I, um, I didn't watch it at all. Someone later was telling me some of the lyrics from some of these songs they were, and they're, they're so, um, it, it can seem like people who are who object to it or don't like it are being, you know, puritanical, prissy, old-fashioned. You know, come on, this is the modern era. But actually, if you respect women, you, you isn't the way you want to have young girls learn about how women are exalted, women are um, women are are achieving in the world through this. It just uh, it, it sends sexuality as the the value of a woman versus skills, talents, abilities, and all that, which I think you, you get, that gets taken out of the conversation when it's all about sexual performance. Any thought on that? Yeah, it certainly it devalues the whole person, right? It devalues us as women, um, as, as human beings with many different facets to ourselves, only one of which is the sexual. But I also think it devalues the sexual, right? Or the erotic. It's, it's, um, it's th this, this, I don't know, I watched this performance, I didn't watch the whole Grammys, but I watched this performance because, it, you know, there was all the political talk about it. Um, and I didn't find it shocking at all, this kind of um, erotic or, or pornographic, borderline pornographic displays, they're not shocking in our culture anymore, and they're barely actually sensual or erotic, except, for example, to those who shouldn't be watching it, like young children who haven't had any um, experience with this kind of content right before. For them, I think it is very damaging because it, it, it's the, the first their first exposure to any kind of sexual content. Um, but for those of us who are adults, this is this is old news. This isn't shocking. And I find it very sad that as a, a society, this is, I think, the opposite of puritanical. I find it sad that we are so awash in this kind of imagery that even two women, you know, gyrating into attractive women, I might add, you know, gyrating in metal bikinis is is barely exciting anymore. Um, and, and so I, I think this this kind of display is ultimately self-defeating, right? If you if you continually um, put the female body on display in this way and in, in this sexual way, uh, it just it starts to become dull and boring and sexless. Um, so I think it's ultimately self-defeating. A very good point. Sorry, I'm thinking about it that way. Okay, so also it's just amazing, you know. Um, it seems like on on this show and recent, I don't even know how long, months we've been talking about COVID and COVID policy and 
border policy, immigration policy, and election law. And I'm, it's really refreshing to get back. I do love talking about the place of women in society. I love the notion of women achieving, having equal access to education and careers and, and guarantees under federal and state laws for equal pay, for equal work, and all of that. I, I, I love that notion that we have as a society advance that way and the assumption underlying assumption is that women expect to be treated uh equally and they they it isn't a a foreign concept in america as it is in some other countries uh, so i love all that uh there was i think recent testimony iwf testified uh in front of congress related to equal pay issues and i don't know i actually didn't ever figure out who did i don't know if you were the one who did that uh, or others but uh, i know iwf has spoken about the equal pay issue and the argument about um whether or not we need to make changes to equal pay laws because there still is an alleged differentiation, not a real difference, but an alleged differentiation between what men and women earn. So tell me about your IWS like, activity in that issue right now. And you, I believe someone recently testified in Congress about that. That's right. That was my college colleague, uh, Patricia Muka, who testified. She did a great job. I highly recommend people go and watch that hearing. Um, she was a voice of sanity in that hearing. Um, if, if you were to listen to that hearing, you would think that um, women have made absolutely no progress in America uh, and that they are still being treated in 2021 as second class citizens. Of course, this is not true. Um, discrimination, pay discrimination on the basis of sex has been illegal on the federal level since 1963. It's been illegal in many states since before that. Um, so if you think you are getting paid less because you're a woman and performing the same job as a man, you should absolutely find a lawyer in this country. You can sue and win for that. Um, but but the, the contention isn't that there are these individual instances, which I'm sure there are. That's why we have a, a system for redress. The contention is that systematically women are being underpaid uh, because they are women. And, and the evidence for that is always this 77, 79 cents on the dollar uh, comparison of, of the quote unquote pay gap. When the reality is that, that pay gap, um, and this is from the Obama Labor Department, so this is not a right wing source. This is a meta study, a compilation of a bunch of studies done by the Obama Labor Department back in 2009 found that, that the wage gap is almost eliminated, almost entirely eliminated when you take into account hours worked, you take into account college major um, and educational attainment, you take into account our um, years in the workforce uh, and various other you know, basic um, sort of controls that are trying to actually compare whether we're actually talking about equal work here. Um, and the reality is that women make different choices than men in a free economy. Women tend to value more flexibility, more time with their family and friends. Um, they tend to value different things than men uh, who will often make those trade-offs, or more often, I should say, make those trade-offs, for example, being willing to take a job that's more dangerous, being willing to take a job that's got a lot of travel where you're going to be away from your family from long hours, um, get, taking a job that's going to take 80 or 90 hours a week to do, right, as, as many, for example, high positions in law firms take, right? So, um, men are more willing to take those jobs and those jobs are more highly paid. And, and I, I personally find this um, a little bit ridiculous because we're holding up men's choices as the standard for women. And if women make different choices in a free economy, that's somehow we're lesser or we're being discriminated against. It's evidence of discrimination or being lesser, when in reality, it's perfectly fine for women on average to make different decisions than men. In fact, I would say that's a good thing. The fact that we are different is wonderful. Um, the fact that women have the prosperity and freedom, for example, to value something like flexibility and work, that's largely thanks to the fact that we live in such a prosperous country. Um, and, and so I, I really think in this case, 
a lot of the rhetoric on the left around equal pay and especially the the um, you know regulation and law they're trying to introduce around this that would make it very difficult for for um, businesses hiring women. I think it kind of misses the point. What they've really set themselves against is not discrimination against women. It's it's choices of actual women, and they're making them freely and differently from men. That is what they are fighting now. It is not discrimination. I love that point. And I was a labor lawyer by background, litigated defending businesses and employment disputes, and I've immersed myself in federal labor law and state labor. It was in California, California labor laws. And the fact is, everything you said is is just absolutely spot on. And I recall, I think it was in the Obama study, era study that you mentioned, but in some place there was studies actually showing that for if you actually equate women with same education level, same um, roughly same years in the workforce, same job, there are some occupations in which women were outpaid or uh, paid more than men. I mean, were being paid more than men. The point being, there is this this uh, myth of systemic. Um, unfairness to women, intentional unfairness to women, is not played out in, in reality. And what you're alluding to also about the different choices women and men make, it is that back to our original point of this idea because we're all individuals and women women tend to prefer different careers. They tend to want, as you say, more time with their families, more flexible work schedule, things which in a free country, a free market economy, employers can honor, employers can facilitate, and, and everyone's happy except the ones who are kind of trying to hone in and, and make an unfairness argument. And ultimately, actually, I do want to ask you, the reason there was testimony recently, is this that there is some attempt to um, amend the Equal Pay Act? Is that right? Yeah, there, there are some attempts to pass new legislation in this area, um, which my um, IWF president, Carrie Lucas, has described as more of a boon for trial lawyers um, than for women. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah. but it all comes down to this, right? Um, you can pile a bunch of regulations onto businesses uh, that the data tell us are already, by and large, with some exceptions, who are already breaking the law and can be redressed that way. Um, businesses are, by and large, paying equally. They're paying men and women equally for equal work. The problem is for those who are looking at the statistics from the you know bird's eye view and see any disparity as evidence of discrimination instead of just evidence of difference, um, they're looking at those those numbers and saying, well, we have a real problem in America with discrimination against women, when in reality what's happening is women are going into different career fields than men. If you look at the college majors, um, the, the yeah. bottom five, um, four out of the five bottom paid college majors, which often are things dealing with care or children or interpersonal uh, types of, of jobs where you have a lot of personal contact with, with colleagues and with clients, um, those tend to be dominated by women. And, and if you look on the flip side, the, the top five um, highest paying college majors so after graduation, four out of five of those are dominated by men, but there are things like petrochemical engineering, right? So um, it's not that a woman can't be a petrochemical engineer. We have many, many women who are petrochemical engineers, but if you look at it from an aggregate uh, basis, there are more women who choose to, for example, go into sociology than men, and there are more men who choose to go into petrochemical engineering than women. I would argue that this is fine. This is evidence of, of um, you know, men and women making free decisions in a free country. Uh, but the left looks at that and sees a problem that they have to pass legislation to fix. So well said. Could not agree with you more. And actually, every time especially the federal government gets involved in further regulation, further rulemaking, further breaking down of data that employers must compile and send into Washington or comparisons that the government wants to assess in your workforce. 
all it does, it hampers employers. It makes them spend more time filling out forms and, and reporting to the government and getting frustrated with the situation. It does not end up making a more productive workforce. It doesn't really end up helping women because women, as we're talking about now, already have the freedom to pursue careers of any kind they want and majors of any kind they want. And if they are go off to college with a notion, I want to target the highest paying career I can, then some college can tell them, yeah, well then you know what? I wouldn't major in social work. I'd go for something different. I think there's a there's plenty of information out there. I, I think it's more of a, you know, if you care about this issue a lot, it's more of a just make sure everyone's informed when they go to college, when they are choosing a career path, to understand where it's going to end up. And our free market's going to pay you more. My example I always give, they're going to pay a brain surgeon more than a bartender because that's what free markets do. They value highly skilled work for highly educated and highly skilled uh, careers more than they do careers that many, many people could do. So I want to give you a quick opportunity to tell our listeners about Independent Women's Forum again. The website is? It's IWF.org. You can find my work there as well as the work of my wonderful colleagues. Um, and we are a women's organization where we fight for um, actually practically uh, policies that really do help women on the ground, makes their lives more more prosperous, more opportunity laden, uh, easier, happier. These are things that we're interested in. We're not interested in, in sort of gauzy language about women that is often attached to bills that will make our lives in reality more difficult. So well said. Inez, I'm so glad to be able to join me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, folks, I, this is a great website. I told you I used to have I had several friends who uh, kind of were involved in the founding it early on. They have great, great, great um, thinkers there. It's a great organization. Um, and they do great work because instead of just being kind of a uh, counter to the feminist mindset that's forever looking for something to be outraged about and something to complain about and something to claim represents unfairness, these people are about data, facts, and reality about what policies are actually best for women. So it's, it's just a great organization um, and really doing a great job countering the messaging of the left, which in many cases has been messaging that basically says, you know, to really stand up for women, what you need is bigger government, more regulations, and more laws changed, changed which we do not need. So Independent Women's Forum great group, IWF.org. Okay, two other quick stories today. So this is just, it's almost a comical story. But I'll tell you, if I wrote scripts for Saturday Night Live, I might think of something like this, only this actually is happening. So the Clinton Foundation, you know, the organization we've discussed many times, the Clinton Foundation that, you know, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and I guess now Chelsea's in charge of it too. But anyway, um, they've been around for years in all sorts of very questionable ways, raising money, questionable how it gets spent, but they are still around apparently, and they are hosting an event, um, which is, I, is the, um, the, uh, Hillary, the Clinton Foundation uh, in conjunction with Howard University. It's a 13th annual Clinton Global Initiative University meeting in partnership with Howard University in Washington, D.C. And the focus of the meeting is women's empowerment. Women's empowerment. This is tomorrow. And the people they have invited to talk on women's empowerment are Bill Clinton, former President Clinton, and current Vice President Kamala Harris. I mean, if I wrote a Saturday Night Live script, you, you just, I mean, you say, you have to be kidding me. Bill Clinton, well-known, long-known, serial um, 
uh, oppressor of women, serial, it's not just, you know, the one only thing he ever admitted to, so far as I'm aware, is Monica Lewinsky, where he finally had to say, okay, actually I did have sex with that woman. But in the course of his life, even after married to Hillary, I mean, we're talking about in the dozens of accusations of sexual assault, actual accusation of rape by Juanita Broderick, uh, very, very credible stories. People brought out women about how they have been mistreated by him. And, and I mean, actually, even before he was married to Hillary, when he was getting his, he got something, he was in England for a while at Oxford, complaints there about his behavior toward women. You know, he falls in a category very, very close to someone you'd actually like to have a warning label, like, you know, and people used to joke about, you know, would you let your, your daughter go on a camping trip with Bill Clinton? I mean, the, the, the guy has been a, a joke in terms of mistreatment of women, and yet with a straight face, Clinton Foundation hosting a function uh, with Bill Clinton uh, on stage with Kamala Harris, who actually received quite a bit of criticism. Uh, Rose McGowan, former Hollywood actress, uh, weighed in with something. She criticized Kamala Harris, saying, how could you take the stage with Bill Clinton to talk about women's empowerment? And her, her little line was, have you no soul? I, I mean, honestly, it should have been, have you no shame? The concept that the Clintons can keep looking America in the eye, looking at the camera in the eye and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, this is, we're, we're doing women's empowerment. That's why we're having this conference. And Bill, he'll be a great speaker, no doubt. I, I mean, truly breathtaking. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about today on the show, I want to just, you know, I'm mentioning now that we are moving this show, and we're changing a little bit about the show. And I want to make sure everyone understands what we're doing. This today is my last Thursday show that I will be doing that, that is for everyone. What we're doing in the show is moving to a membership mode, but just for Thursdays. So the show will still be on everywhere, wherever you listen, wherever you watch, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it'll still be on. Thursday will become the membership uh, for members only. And so I'm going, I sent Matt the wonderful slide. I wanna, I wanna go through with you what this membership thing involves and what it's all about. So I would love if you would join America Can We Talk. So beginning, April this year, so literally one week from today is April 1st, and that is when we're launching the membership. America Can We Talk will launch our America Can We Talk membership family. Love to have you join us. We'll continue Monday through Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central Time, just as we have been doing. But we are going to, um, at, we're going to continue Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Starting April 1st, our Thursday shows will be for members only. Shows on Monday through Wednesday will still be available for everyone. The Thursday show will be a very private Q&A. It's a different studio, a different feel, sometimes with a guest. It'll, it's not going to be me talking and showing clips and telling stories. It's a, it's a Q&A back and forth. It's a conversation. It's a political conversation. Private Q&A, sometimes with a guest. A time to answer questions that you email me or that you text to me. To join... And anyone can join, you go to americacanwetalk.org. You click on the Members tab across the top, and then choose Join Now. Once you join, you'll have access to the Members Only page where you will watch the live shows and also watch past shows. So the Thursday shows will not be on YouTube, Facebook, or any of the other social media outlets be just on our website. So to watch the Thursday show, you can watch every show on our website and I encourage you to watch every show on our website, americacanwetalk.org. But the Thursday show will only be available there. So on Thursdays, you'll go to americacanwetalk.org 
forward slash live forward slash and then you will be able to watch the Thursday members only show and um, on that same members page we'll be archiving all of the Thursday membership shows so you'll be able to see them if you miss them you can because I already have people emailing saying well I can't watch your show live well I get to watch these yes you will they'll be there just for members only so once you join you'll have access to the members only page for live shows and to watch past shows joining is only five dollars a month or $50 a year. It's a bargain, I tell you. It's a Thursday, once a week show, uh, doing Q&A together. I have one more sl slide to show you on this. So um, to send in questions, I say it's a Q&A. To send in questions to me for our Thursday show, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com and use the subject line, question for Thursday show about. I would love if you would use that in the subject line and say whatever it is, the border wall or whatever the topic is. And then you also can send in questions by texting me. And we have a texting setup. You can join our private text messaging, America Can We Talk family, by sending a text to 53445. So you type that number into the two line of your text, 53445. And then in the message portion of your text, type the word America. So you put 53445 in the two line, you put the word America in, and you hit send, that comes into my private text messaging, American We Talk family, private website just for us to use. And so once you've joined, you can use that texting effort, you can use that texting to send a question. And as well as I will send you updates, reminders, hey, membership show tomorrow, we got blah, 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 you know, whatever I'm gonna be sending you. Um, I will not send a, a multitude of text messages. In fact, I've not sent any yet. I have a growing uh, group in this texting family, but I'm being very careful to honor your um, phone privacy, your text messaging, not to overwhelm your text messaging, but I will start using it next week, notifying you of upcoming meetings, update, uh, so I will use, if you join the texting, you'll get texts from me, and you can use that to send questions via text, so we'll try to answer. And you get to meet Matt the Wonderful. He will be in the uh, producer's booth, but you get to see Matt the Wonderful, and, and sometimes our conversation will be with Matt. Sometimes we'll have guests on the show and sometimes not. We're also having it in a studio. It's at the same building, but a different studio. And there's actually room for seating in that studio. So we will have a small number of in-studio uh, guests each week. And there'll be someone collecting questions, written questions, uh, from those people in the audience. So that if, you're, if you are able to come and you let me know via email, you know, those seats will fill up. But every week we're going to have, we think it's like 10 to 12 seats we can have maybe a little more than that but we it's, it's not a huge room but a few people in the audience i'd love to have you if you like enjoy listening to this show just send me an email and say you'd like to come in and watch a show in person on thursdays at 3 p.m central time and we'll have that audience in place but the main thing the reason i'm doing this it is several reasons i want to tell you why number one i get a lot of questions emailed to me people saying well what do you think about this i wish you'd talk about that and you know, it's every day, there are about 150 topics I'd like to cover, and, and we have a short period of time. So I'm trying to be, you know, I'm always honing down the topics I can hit, but I do love to answer your questions. I love when I hear from you, and I love to answer your questions. So if you would like to uh, join this membership thing, uh, I will be bringing in a stack of papers of questions that people have, have sent to me, emailed to me, We'll have live questions coming in during the show using the texting, 
And we'll have questions from people in the audience if they have questions. But the whole point is to have a conversation, to go back and forth, to really have a day to talk about more like a personal conversation between us. Uh, sometimes we'll have a guest in studio. I have several uh, people I think you especially enjoy talking to. I have some of them lined up. Uh, and then some days, um, we'll, it'll be just the, just us. It'll be, uh, I'll be talking with you and, and love to take your questions. But the other thing this does, it's a very low price. It's $5 a month or $50 a year. But this membership launch enables me to continue doing the show without having advertisements. As you know, if you've watched this show, I do not have advertisers. I have managed to do this because of the great and generous support of listeners. I've been able to do this show without advertisers. And I love that. It seems like the show races by as it is. It's only 45 or 50 minutes a day or some, some if I, I can't see Matt, he'd be thinking, he'd be giving me a look saying, actually, you kind of push it longer than that. It's supposed to be 45 to 50 minutes. It goes a little longer sometimes. But I want to be able to continue doing this show and have this vital American political conversation without the interruption of advertisers. And that's one reason I'm hoping that people listening will like to join the membership discussion, join the Thursday show, the membership thing. It allows us to avoid um, having to have advertisers and the disruption of advertisement on the show. I also know that I hear from you sometimes uh, from just saying, I really wish you could talk about this. And there are topics that I just, they don't seem to quite fit in the news cycle. Um, and there's are always in this era, so many things to be talking about, but I do love to respond to you. I love to feel like I get to know you a little bit. I love to have you get to know me a little bit, probably a little more personal conversation about life and, and how we handle political challenges in our life and how, no, how, we, how do we handle the challenge of being politically involved in life. So it's a different studio. In, uh, in studio audience, a Q&A format. Um, it is a it's a chance to feel more like a family. So I hope you'll consider. Hope you'll consider joining. Again, you do it at the website at americacanwetalk.org. There's a membership tab across the top of the homepage. You hit join, you go down, you can get in there and, and you, you simply join and when you get a password, it's all set up with a password, your own password. And you can visit that page, that members page, anytime you want, not just during the show. Anytime you want, go back and, and listen to past um, interviews and so, or past uh, members only pages. So that's, that's our idea about it. Many of you have been donors to this show, and I want to uh, briefly address you. If you have donated to this show, uh, we have all that information. We, we do take, I've been grateful for donations, and I want to thank you every one of you who've donated to this show to keep this show going because it is it is how we pay for this lovely studio and this extremely professional staff we have here just high caliber workers uh, high caliber people talent here that keep this show going um, and so some of you have been donors you will get an email from me uh, whether if you if you are a donor and you you know, paid at that level you'll get an email just saying you know you are a member and here's your access code so we're gonna we're not going to ignore your past donations if you made donations uh, at that level you will we'll put you in the membership family love to have you in there um, if you made a small donation in the past we'll let you know you know you could do if you want to do a little bit more uh, you could be part of the uh, the um, family too, the Thursday family conversation about America so I want to be sure you know that if you're a past donor, I'm not ignoring that very that great generosity that you've already shown my show. I am so grateful for our listeners. I literally get emails. I, I get a lot of emails from listeners, but I get some honestly about once a day that bring tears to my eyes because I, I'm telling you that what we talk about in this show are the things that are keeping people awake at night. 
what we talk about on this show is preserving and saving America. I, I get emails from, I mean, people just saying, I, I don't know what to do. I can't figure out what's going to happen to America. I don't know what we're going to do to get our country back. We're about to have, you know, HR1 may pass in Washington and the entire election system in our country will be taken over. How are we ever get, we didn't have fair elections in 2020. How are we gonna have it going forward? I get those kind of emails. I get people concerned about the repression of religious liberty and the denigration, the place of God and family and church and faith in American society. I get people just deeply concerned about the border and the loss of American sovereignty by abandoning the southern border, which is what is happening under this administration. I get heartfelt emails from you all. They really do bring tears to my eyes. I try to respond. I, I can't keep up with them, but I love responding to you. And I'm hoping this Thursday membership thing will feel like more of a conversation uh, between us between you, my listeners, and me, about America, saving America, what can we do? I'd love if you would consider supporting it, um, and actually love if you send in questions. And then, you, as I mentioned, the texting is another way to join that way. And then, if you do join as a member, one little point I didn't get on the slides, but if you do join as a member, once you're in that membership thing, we actually have a separate category. Uh, we have another word you can text in to 53445, and that will be the members only uh, way of texting so that you will then be sure that during the show, if you're sitting there listening and saying, well, I wonder what she thinks about this or why, why did she say that? I, I don't think that's right. You can do that in the middle of the show. If you're watching the show online, send a text in that into this other private group, which I'll, when you're a member, you'll know what that password is to join that smaller group. And we really can try to make it feel like a conversation among friends about preserving this extraordinary, exceptional, precious country, America. So that's what we're doing. Starts a week from today. It's been a long time in planning and thinking and updating the website and thinking through all the issues. And you know, we may have some things that come up we haven't thought through and we'll figure them out. But mainly I wanna be sure that you all know that I love the family, the America Can We Talk family. I love the listeners we have. I, I love this precious country. I talk about loving America so much. I, I have a love for the American people that I think all of us need to hear more and more. You know, when Ronald Reagan was running and when he was president, he frequently made reference to love of the American people not just love of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and all those noble and great country-shaping ideas, but love of the American people, love of their goodness, their inherent goodness, the astonishing generosity, their overwhelming greatness in world history, their goodness as a country. This idea of love of the American people gets lost. It gets lost in the midst of the battles we are having in this country about whether or not to have a secure border, whether or not freedom of religion can still, be, can still survive, whether or not we're going to have free and fair elections. The whole feeling, that, that love of America feeling that we felt very, very much under Ronald Reagan, and we felt it very, very much under Donald Trump, is feeling kind of, I guess, been stepped on right now and, and, and it's difficult for people to feel that way. But I'm telling you, I do a lot of public speaking. I do a lot of uh, advising to groups, various kinds of groups. And I hear these messages more and more as we move along in this country. People are concerned about our country. They're concerned about our future. They want what we can do to help, but they also have that just passionate, love of the American people, recognition of the overwhelming goodness of the American people. There are still 
in my view, a majority of Americans who want America to be as America was intended to be, under the ideas of the Declaration of Independence, under the ideas of the Constitution, the notion of a good and noble free people formed by the ideas that our founders wrote down. They discern from their prayers. They discern from their study of the ancient philosophers or study of the Bible. They, they intentionally, America was created intentionally with astonishingly great and good ideas. And that's the America I talk about on this show. That's the America I want to help preserve. I think many of my listeners feel the same way, and that is why I do this show. I do this show to speak up for America because it's his most extraordinary gift to, uh, to the planet. It's an extraordinary gift of liberty, an experiment human liberty, that the, the most important experiment human liberty that has ever blessed this earth. That's what America is, and that's why I do this show to advocate for preserving it, to inspire others to strive to preserve it. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so we started our day this morning, earlier today, we started with Biden's first press conference on the marijuana controversy. Biden's answer to yesterday's question from a reporter about preparing for his first press conference was, what press conference? That was, and so this is his first in 64 days in. President Biden is not as mentally alert as a president of the United States should be, no matter how he held up in a heavily prepped for press conference where he had a prepared list of reporters to call on. This was not a traditional press conference, and he promised to run again in four years. America must have a cogent, vigorous, functioning commander-in-chief. The bizarre White House firing decisions based on marijuana use in college while Kamala Harris as vice president, too many what-the-heck decisions. Americans have a right to know who is running the White House. And it certainly is not President Biden. And on Bill Clinton and the Vice President Harris on women's empowerment, Bill Clinton's philandering and lying about it and his 25-plus trips to Jeffrey Epstein's island are matters of public record. Kamala Harris's political climb and its correlation with her acknowledged affair with California Democrat kingmaker Willie Brown is also a matter of public record. It's understood to be among the reasons Harris, as a presidential candidate, never polled over 2%, even among Democrats. For Democrats to organize a conference on women's empowerment featuring these two, Bill Clinton and Kamala Harris, these two speakers, tone deaf to say the least intentionally mocking of ordinary Americans, there is no good explanation, no good answer. America is sinking into Orwellian depths. And finally, on America Can We Talk launch, membership launch one week away, one week from today. I'm getting excited. Actually, it's been a lot of hard work. I'm getting excited about this idea. We're gonna have fun with this, people. I, I know I'm intense all the time on the show, extremely intense about the stories. We're gonna have fun and talk like a family. America Can We Talk will continue live Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central. However, the Thursday show will, beginning April 1st, a week from today, be for members only. America Can We Talk membership is only $5 a month or $50 a year. You can subscribe at americacanwetalk.org. The Thursday members only shows will be unique. Produced in a new studio with live audience participation, it'll be a Q&A with viewers, Q&A with you. Uh, Matt the Wonderful will join me. Finally get to talk to him. He's actually, he really is wonderful. I'm so blessed to have him as a producer. Um, occasional special guests in person and on Skype. 
a family-style conversation about what matters in America. Membership fees defray the cost of producing this show. They help pay for the broader distribution and to keep all shows uninterrupted and commercial-free. And we'll close out the day, uh, today's show by also saying that if you try to watch this show um, on YouTube, I, I'm on suspension again from YouTube uh, for saying things that were true, but okay, I, if you watch on YouTube, I, or if you know people who watch on YouTube, I just want to encourage everyone to try to go to my website to watch americacanwetalk.org and right at 3 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, anyone can go americacanwetalk.org forward slash live forward slash the show will be there. So you can watch it there. It'll be back on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. We're putting up on Rumble and Parler and other new of the places, uh, other new social media platforms. But to watch it live, the best bet is at my website, americachemitalk.org. And I get many emails asking about that. And so I, I want to keep repeating it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at YouTube. I hope we're back. I guess we'll be back. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even know when the my punishment phase ends. But anyway, we'll be back on YouTube. But I urge you to try. I, I think as we go through this next four years and we have um, increasing censorship by the social media giants and we have censorship, which no one on the left seems to mind. And so I don't think the government's going to do much about it. It's going to be incumbent on people, voices like mine, uh, to be active in ways that you, I can be heard. That's why I'm encouraging you to go to my website, encouraging you to tell others about going to my website directly. Last thing, if you don't subscribe to my newsletter, it's free, it's once a week, it's a great place to figure out what we talked about the past week, links to every interview, links to every show segment. It also will have links to all the new social media platforms, how to find me there. So if you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter, go to americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage, hit that subscribe button and up it'll pop and you put in your email and that's it. And your email will come to my list and you'll get a once a week email from me. It's a great way to catch up on the show if you miss shows during the week, great way to share the show, and um, just a great way to keep in touch with all the news I share in there because in addition to telling you about the uh, shows and interviews we did, I'll also be sharing with you as we get more active and more and more of the new social media platforms, you'll be able to see there where we are, give you quick links right to it. So, hope you subscribe. Thank you for all your donations. Hope you'll join America Can We Talk. And most especially, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show, America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America Can We Talk. Truth about America. Can you